Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part, and we are your host. I am Greg Knott. And I am Bill Hostler. And I'm Darren Laners. And tonight we are very pleased to have with us from the great state of California, Dago Rodriguez. And we're going to get into a really interesting discussion about the Fraternal Review and Southern California Research Lodge and things, but... Before we go, Doggo, why don't you give us a little bit about your Masonic background and why you became a Freemason, etc. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Highly appreciated. Uh, my name is Doggo Rodriguez. I'm a two-time past master of, of South Pasadena Masonic Lodge, number 290, in, here in L.A. County. I am the current master of the Southern California Research Lodge and serve as the managing editor of the Fraternal Review magazine. I also serve in the advisory committee of the Freemason magazine for the Grand Lodge of California. I'm also a Scottish Rite Mason from the Valley of Pasadena and the Valley of Guthrie, Oklahoma. And why I became a Mason? I became a Mason 10 years ago, over 11, almost 11 years ago now, actually. A film school friend of mine was a Mason and he invited me to a dinner. He made this interesting connection that there was a bunch of symbology and masonry that kind of paralleled the symbology that could be used in filmmaking and that it should, it, it could be a good, a good, a good thing to be part of. He said, I came to a dinner and a year later I was getting my entered apprentice degree. And then 11 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> fantastic. I, I think, you know, it's always interesting to me to find out, how people begin their journey. And there's really no two answers the same. There's some, you know, maybe similar, but it's, it's just amazing the the wide breadth of things that catch people's attention to draw their interest to the lodge and uh, and draw them in. So tell us about the Southern California Research Lodge. You know, it's I've been on, on and off of subscribing. I need to renew. And it's just one of the outstanding research lodges in the United States. So Tell us some of its history and its goals and things like that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's really nice. I became part of the Southern, uh, the, well, the Southern California Research Lodge received its dispensation in November of 1952. It was one of three lodges that the state had created in, in an effort to uh, pull out more Masonic research. I guess being the golden era of Masonry back then, there were a lot of Masons and on top of the social aspect, many wanted to dive more into the educational aspect. And so the Grand Lodge felt that there was a need to center it and focus it more. So they created research lodges and also, I believe, historical lodges around the same time were created. 
and they created the Southern California Research Lodge, Central California, and the Northern California Research Lodge. And since then, I've, I believe we've had two more, yeah, two more research lodges open up in the state. But I believe out of the five, two have closed their doors, sadly. Uh, the Southern California Research Lodge started with, you know, brothers that were curious uh, and wanted to f- study Masonic education further. They would share papers that they would write. They would have dinners and read each other's papers. And later, as the membership grew, they would make copies of the individual papers that brothers would write and mail them out. Then through the course of that process, they, as they were finding real interesting, more interesting research in, uh, as they were researching their papers, they started to compile fragments and sections of those other publications that they were studying and created like uh, a pamphlet, if you will, that they called the Fraternal Review. And they would Xerox these pages and mail them out every month. And that happened for the next, I would say, almost 50 years before it turned into the magazine, Color Magazine, that we see now back in 2016. And that happened because I, with another uh, brother from our lodge, Brother Marco Garcia, we wanted to bring more education to our lodge. So we were expanding it by doing classes for are newly re- newly made masons having lectures through the illumination lecture series creating a, a chamber of reflection music you know becoming an observant lodge if you will and part and we heard that the southern california research lodge was looking to move from orange county to back to la county and we met with a master at that time doug russell the senior warden Gerald smith and you know, we wind them and dined them and convinced them that if they came to South Pasadena, we would help them revamp the fraternal review and make it into uh, a much more digestible publication. And they fell for it. <laughs> and they, they agreed. They were said, all right, let's try this. And they started meeting at South Pasadena Masonic Lodge. And the magazine has been evolving since then into what you see today. So it's been a fruitful journey thus far, knock on wood. So the your lodge, the Southern California Research Lodge, is probably like the Illinois Lodge of Research that is chartered by the Grand Lodge, but it doesn't do degree work and those kinds of things. Its its focus and its mission is strictly research and education. Yes, we uh, we do we do not uh confer degrees or funeral services or yeah, that kind of stuff. You're absolutely right. It's just for research purposes. If you are, if you become a master of a research lodge out here, out here, once you're out of the east, you be, you get the title of former master, not past master. That is a whole, another title that they give you. That is not as I guess prestigious as a past master title. You don't get to put FM in the in the at the end of your name when you're the former master of the research lodge, unless you're a past master of a blue lodge, then you could get away with it. Interesting. Very, very, I think it's interesting. There was five at one time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. just, of course, you know, California is a large state. And, and as you said, in the fifties, the golden era of, of masonry within terms of membership. So probably had a hundred, 200,000 members, I'm sure statewide. So really that, that makes sense given the, you know, the, the geography of the state and the, the numbers. So, but, you know, and also to reiterate that we're, and we became the only research lodge in the state, if not the country, that 
continue to have a monthly publication and still do. The only time we don't publish is in January. We publish 11 months out of the year. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, we're the only publication in the country that does it monthly unless you have a your Grand Lodge in your state jurisdiction that does it. But even our state Grand Lodge only publishes every other month the California Freemason magazine. So we're busy is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh Illinois does every other month or or they may now do uh do like quarterly. So I think they do like spring, summer, fall, winter uh for their publication. Dago, what was the thought process behind coming up with a, a Masonic style issue because uh, it's honestly the first time I think I've ever seen any publication dedicated to masonic uh style being being a, a stylish mason if you will what made you um decide to uh roll with it not only have it as an issue but it's almost like a double issue correct it's yeah yeah it's almost like three issues really we, but it's the double it is a double issue it's our september slash october issue and i the discussion for for attire came up, I think it was like three years ago when we were tossing ideas and we, we did, we thought of the same thing. We're like, you know, we ha I haven't read anything that discusses the importance or non-importance of Masonic attire anywhere. So it would be interesting if we could put an issue together to dissect it, its history, its relevance, why the, you know, dark suits, black ties, or why not? Why in some jurisdictions it's okay for the officers to wear, you know, clean overalls and a, you know, nice button shirt. And in other jurisdictions, you have to wear your tuxedo suit. You know, it's so to me, these were the questions that were circling that I put up to the team. Uh, and luckily, you know, they, they support a lot of the crazy ideas that we come up with because it's just so different and so unique that we said, all right, well, we, we, we got bogged down with other ideas that were more, that felt more important during that time. But once we were deciding on the themes for 2020, which we decide on those themes a year before, like right now, we're just finalizing the themes for 2021. Uh, we decided to go ahead and do, uh, on a, on a, on a tire issue. It was called the Masonic attire issue at first. And I was talking to brother Angel Millar, uh, and he, had an interest in this. He has a degree in attire, fashion design, and he gravitated towards it. Like, yeah, I think this is a really good idea and I'd love to be involved in it. So after talking to the editors, like we were like, well, what do we know about style and fashion? You know, let's, let's go to him. He sounds interested, interest, interested in it. So we went, we asked him and he obliged and said, I'll, I'll run with it. And he did an awesome job curating the articles for this issue and writing a couple of them as well but the i was watching these documentaries and i was seeing documentaries on publishing and how and i was studying uh style magazines because I, I also do the layouts for the issue and i really we really wanted it to feel like you were looking at a, a men's fashion style magazine that you would pull off the rack at the bookstore so we said well part of it is for the first time ever let's let's offer advertising so we reached out to the Masonic uh, attire vendors and offered them advertising an issue, full color page, nothing less. 
If you want two, sure, go ahead. But we really want it to feel like a, a fashion, a style magazine when you leave through it. And also we really want great original cinematic images that we could put in it to really impress upon everybody how style can also be something that can take you away. It's almost like a fantasy of sorts, right? Like when you look at the noir layout, like I want to be that guy, right? It's like, that's, that's the power that style has. And that's the power that these fashion magazines sometimes have. So we were trying to see how can we blend that in with masonry that just will not eat what many won't even want to think about it or dismiss it as something, you know, not that serious. Why are you, what, what does this have to do with Masonic education? Right. Is what I'm waiting to start hearing in the social circles, but it has a lot to do with it. A lot, a lot to do with it. But that was the, the genesis of, of starting to put this issue together about three years ago and finally getting it done now. But, and we had a lot of ideas for more photo shoots, but then COVID hit and made it really hard, if not impossible to stretch our creativity as far as we wanted to. So we had to be creative in other ways and got the stuff that we needed for it. Talk a little bit, if you can, about the work behind the magazine itself. Not maybe, you know, certainly this issue was a lot of work, but I mean, how much time do you spend on the layout? I mean, this is a high quality magazine, not just this issue, but it's, it's evolved to that high, high quality magazine. Talk some about the work and I'm sure you're chasing articles and trying to get people to respond, et cetera. How, how's that go? Well, we usually meet in the late summer to discuss themes for the following year. And some of those debates are really interesting <laughs> to, to sit through. And then once we finalize the themes, it, we reach out to any guest editors that we in our travels have met that could articulate those themes better and see if they're interested in editing a whole issue for us. And then, uh, we usually are working on an issue two months. Before it's out, uh, unless it's a specific issue, like whenever you see an issue on a poll, like the top 10 esoteric authors or the top 25 books, those you start working on about seven months before you see it printed. I know for this uh, style issue, we were on it. So we started on it back discussions in with a photographer, well, with and with Angel in, in January. It started in January. He knew he was doing it back in August. We had a small talk in December just to see where he was at with the articles. And then because this was going to be a double issue, there were going to be more articles to fill an issue. So we wanted to make sure he had enough leeway for that. And then the photography started in early March. Then COVID hit, the hit, and we paused for about a month and a half to regroup and rethink, re-strategize and finalize some more photographs in June, really, June, and and didn't get the final images till almost August 1st as pages were being laid out for it. So it, and it was a double issue, and I, we've never laid out a double issue, so it was a learning experience all its own on how to like talk, you know, the printer with a printer, the image quality, the advertisers now, like it was interesting. It's, it's an interesting process. That's for sure. But the result, I think all of us are really proud of putting this 
piece of work, this book, as sometimes it's called in the industry, together for others to enjoy. Like, really, we do it for our brothers and non-brothers to see this and get a an insight look as as uh, to as to what how far-reaching masonry is and how it connects to different things, even what you wear a lot. So. I think that's neat. I think that's cool. And you're right. No one else has done a whole issue on this. And we said, we'll do two in one and see how that goes. So depending on how, on the reception, there might be a, a part two in the, in the future. Pablo, first of all, let me congratulate you on this. This was my first instance of actually describing, I hadn't really until recently heard of the publication, but needless to say, I was blown away at your quality and Articles and Angel Noir that his article on the history of the different men's attire was amazing. I learned a lot, and and I'm going to first of all say if anybody has a problem saying what does this have to do with masonry, because there is a lot of symbolism involved in this, it makes you really think deeper than what you normally would because there is a lot of things involved in it between what we wore back in the 1700s as it was explained in this throughout today. And it's really interesting if you think about it. I belong to lodges, three different lodges in three different jurisdictions. One in back in Indiana where I was raised and where we wore tuxedos for, for degree work and business suits for every business meeting. To down in Texas where people wear what they call a cowboy tuxedo, which is a Western dress jacket, and um, blue jeans, and you know, a bolo tie, and belt buckles. The master wears a cowboy hat. I mean, it just, it, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to think about how, you know, we always discuss about how masonry is different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction between the customs and the titles and the ritual, but nobody ever really discussed about the dress, and that's something that's really never been. You know, addressed before, like you're saying, and I think it's really something that's, that's neat. It really needs to be talked about. It's really interesting, and, and it just really depends because it's like take Texas, for example. If you're in a lodge in Texas, you, in Dallas or um, Austin, one of the bigger cities, you might go in a tuxedo or in a dress suit. But if you might be in a little town in, say, the South Texas, you might show up in a, you know, in a starch jeans and a Western shirt. It's just the diversity of the jurisdictions and not say one of them's wrong, one of them's right. I mean, there's so many people use that inward, not the outward. You know, and it just always makes me upset because people bastardize the ritual, you know, try to make their point. But it just... I really think this is an interesting topic, and I'm really glad that you made this. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, we've we've talked about the magazine. I'm kind of curious about the lodge of research itself, and I also belong to several. I belong to like oh, I don't know four or five different lodge of researches jurisdictions. Does the California lodge of research allow people from other jurisdictions to join, and what are the qualifications to join? Well, that's a good question, and and. It gets technical, so hear me out. <laughs> uh, anybody can subscribe to the magazine uh, from any jurisdiction. You can subscribe to the magazine. To be a member of the lodge, you need to be a California Mason in good standing because uh, that goes back to the way California Masonry does their databasing, the, the entries of members, and to keep tabs on them as well. It's it, it it got very technical a few years ago, and so it was decided that if we're a lodge of research in the state, 
you could only join it and be a member if you live in the state. And we even go further at our lodge and say, you have to be local and you have, and you need to show up. Uh, because the only difference you get by being a member is the right to vote at a stated meeting. We have four stated meetings a year. We have quarterly meetings. Uh, if, and if, and, and that's it. If you're a subscriber, <clears throat> you get the publication just like the members of the lodge also do. Uh, and it's not, and if anybody wants to contribute, it's not limited just to California Masons or uh, brothers from our lodge. The only stipulation we do have is that every year we have certain themes that we want to uh, contemplate on in each, in each issue. And we are looking for writing that fits that theme because we'll get people submitting things that are great papers that inspire other ideas down the line, but we really can't publish it that year because it doesn't fit one of those themes. But to answer your question, it's really just closed off to members of the membership is for state masons, but the subscribers can come from anywhere to receive the publication. That was going to be my next question, kind of an addendum. Over the years, I've seen a lot of great Masonic publications come and go, and they, most of them surprisingly didn't go for lack of circulation. They, they had a good following and a good readership, but the problem they had wasn't so much the, the, the readers, but they kept running out of content. How much difficulty do you guys have getting content to fill 11 issues? And do you really rely on your membership or do you rely on people from outside the state or do you like you come up here and get together? Even if sometimes it's been like Freemasons amongst ourselves, like, oh my guys, has anybody got anything for the next, your next issue? We're, we're having issues here. How, how difficult is that to come up with content sometimes for your publication? You know, that was a worry in the beginning, but it, it has never been an issue, knock on wood, because uh, we through, throughout the year, we encourage the officers of the lodge to travel, go see lectures, read Masonic pub, other Masonic publications and be inspired. So when we do have our yearly planning meetings, they come with a bag full of themes and ideas that they feel would be interesting to explore in one of the issues. Uh, and just like... Like I said, we've been having discussions for next year's themes already, and we narrowed it down to 25 themes, which is 25 issues, but we could only pick 11. So when you get down to those last 15, 16 themes, there's, that's when the nice debate starts. Well, what, what would really be important next year to discuss? And that's how we narrow it down to just the 11 themes and all those leftover themes, which is enough for another year, get put in the maybe pile to discuss at next year's theme meeting. But, but you're right. And I think, I think there's, a, there, you're right in the sense that there were other publications. One that comes to mind is Herd's uh, Living Stones magazine that I thought was really inspiring and it, it stopped being produced, but I don't really think it was because of ideas. I think it was, I mean, and I'm, you know, uh, it's, I'm not sure, but it's, I think it's really the manpower to churn out an issue every month, every other month, or even every quarter by with a limited team behind you and with us you know we're blessed that we have not only the officers of the research lodge but also the we have a an executive committee that meets every month to discuss the upcoming issues and then we have the whole lodge officers and any local members that meets every quarter to discuss the lodge business further and upcoming issues projects 
visits and that kind of stuff. So uh, the ideas, yeah. I, I mean, if anything, I think we would run out of, I mean, not, not yet, but the thing I would worry more is about running out of the, the volunteers. I mean, we all do it for, you know, corn, wine and oil. And that's where the, the, the taxing parts come in. Cause it's, it, it could feel like a full time job and we need to just spread it out enough. So nobody burns out and leaves us. Yeah. I can totally sympathize with that. Yeah. Uh, Daga, let's talk about uh, the excerpt from Mitch Horowitz's new book. I thought it was honestly the other than the you know the the pictorials and and that I thought it was really the best part of the issue. And just a couple of questions. First of all, how did you hook up with Mitch? And then secondly, there's something Mitch really says that really hit a chord with me. He said he was talking with uh, one of his artist friends, and his artist friend said, anyone who wants to be a public person should be able to re be reproduced as an action figure and be immediately recognizable. And I really think that that applies to us as Freemasons and that we need to dress for the part, if you will. And in doing so, we will project a positive image into the community. I just wanted to see, you know, what your thoughts are regarding, uh, first of all, how you got Mitch, how he became involved, and then secondly, regarding his article. Okay, so with Mitch Horowitz, he actually had visited our lodge in December to close out our Illumination Lecture Series. And he was a guest speaker, and I had met him. That was the first time I actually met him in person and had mentioned that there would be a, you know, issue like this being discussed. And he brought, I remember him talking about this book and a couple of other publications. And I said, well, somebody will reach out to you hopefully and, and talk to you. So then Angel Millar actually had a relationship with him because I believe he spoke at one of Angel's lodges in New York and they're both from New York. So this article was really Angel Millar's doing and, and grabbing, if you will, he brokered the convincing to Mitch to let us re, uh, reprint this article that's going to be out in his book that's going to be released soon. The Magic of Believing Action Plan, I believe. So, yeah, it was really more Angel Millar brokering the deal and speaking with Mitch about contributing to this issue and using his article, which I agree. I think his article really touched on. Uh, that spiritual sense and uh, of identity with how one should think about how they represent themselves, not just necessarily in their style, but in everyday life, right? But the shell or mask that you wear is your clothes. And this is something to keep in mind as what he projects in the art article. The action figure question you asked? Yeah, more so uh, regarding maybe if there was an archetype of what a Freemason is, uh, how do you think that archetype would be shaped or what would that archetype look like? Well, you know, that's a good question because it's like the archetype for a Mason is it's it's like you have all your Star Wars action figures and you're going to you're going to pick the one to play with this time with your friends. But. Somebody already took Luke Skywalker, so you go for the next good figure, right? There's so what I think what I, what I'm seeing is that there's not just one, there's just a variety of them. Like I'm thinking of 
the the Masons that have had impact in my life, that that's the action figure I would like to see. And those are the guys that were brothers that I would look up to. Like our chaplain, Don Johansson, that passed away four years ago. Like, I want to grow that old and still be that curious and enthusiastic about learning and Freemasonry up until the day I die. That to me is like the standard to sort of the example to, to, to reach. So to just have one that stands out and to say, this is the Tom Hanks representation of Freemasonry. I don't know. I don't think there is, it's hard to pin it, right? Cause everywhere, everybody has their, Masons in particular have their own ideal, but if you're not a Mason and you're subjected to the Dan Brown ideal of a Mason, then, you know, well, sure, you know, you'd want to see the Tom Hanks action figure in a tuxedo and an apron, right? It's like, it's like, there you go. Here, kids, look, but I don't think there's really just the one ideal. I think, I think different Masons represent different things that are striving to do good things and to just define him as this or that is not really fair to how mixed our fraternity is. And that's what makes it so rich. That's a great answer, Dago. One thing I notice is we do a, a poor job as lodges in telling candidates or setting expectations on dress. I've noticed a number of degrees where, frankly, we failed, I have failed at times, to tell them, come dressed up. And I've seen them show up in, in jeans and shorts, and, and they didn't know the difference. And they look around a room, because at least in our area, generally everybody will dress well for a degree. And so they're sort of embarrassed, and, and, and I think we just we got sidetracked with other things. And so we don't do a very good job of setting the stage early on about expectations. And I think this issue, again, kind of, to me, in my mind, reinforces that need to give the new entered apprentice or the new petitioner some background and information. And, and part of that is is how to dress. And like you say, maybe it varies from lodge to lodge or maybe even from meeting type to meeting type. But sometimes I think we fail right out of the gate. And then, you know, they they come in and and kind of wonder, well, this thing organized or, you know, it's, I just think there's a lot of times we need to get our own act together. And, and part of that is the expectations of the dress. Oh, absolutely. I, and, you, and there was maybe seven years ago, seven, eight years ago at, at my blue lodge, we had a situation like that where the can, the candidate, it was a summer degree and the candidate showed up in a, in his jeans and t-shirt to get his degree. And that day the inspector had decided to visit the lodge and boy, after the degree, he really like set us straight as to what were we thinking? Like, this is not, you know, solemnity. This is not respectful. I almost would have shut you guys down. And it made us really go back and rethink things. And, and, and then we wanted to become an observant lodge maybe a year later. So we looked into, so now, what we do is as soon as you are accepted into the lodge, we send out a welcome letter with your degree. It's a packet actually, but there's a letter welcoming you with, uh, with your entered apprentice degree date. And the very next sentence is you will wear a dark suit and tie. And this is how we'll sh- you will show up to every degree at this lodge or don't show up at all. 
So from that moment, that culture shift started that now everybody that's received their degrees from that first letter on understands the importance and the awareness of this. And they are showing up in their, in their, in their, in their suits and ties to this degrees, to the, to the degrees and to some of the stated meetings. But you still get the older guys from the other generation that sometimes don't. So it starts to send that mixed signal, but the culture is shifting enough that now the newer guys since seven years ago are outdressing the older guys. And now that the older guys are coming in a little better dressed now. <laughs> so see the power of the raise the bar time, patience and perseverance is everything at, at that level. Unless you're starting your own lodge and you're setting those standards, my advice to lodges that are already are already have been around for a while is that just start now with the first ones that cut that you initiate and slowly evolve it. But you have to stick around to observe it and keep it steady. You can't just start something and walk away a year later because you're not the master of the lodge and you've done your service already. You have to stick around as a junior past master, as a two, three, five, ten year past master and help keep that boat steering in the same direction until you see that everybody dressing up for the lodge, right? And I think that's where yeah. people forget is that, well, in my year, I'm going to change it, but you change it and then you walk away. It's like you have a kid. As soon as your kid's born, you give it to your parents and you say, well, I'm going to come back when he or she is 18. They better be straight A students going to Harvard and want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'll see you in 18 years. And you come 18 years later and they're you know, in jail. What happened? Well, where were you? If you're going to nurture and father something, you have to be prepared to stick to it. And that's where I see a lot of lodges failing is that they don't, they have the great idea. They spark it. They're fire starters <laughs> and they start a fire, but they don't stick around to fan the flames and keep it burning. They just walk away and they get put out by somebody else. I, I think you just hit on what I think is one of the, the, the weak points of not just Freemasonry, but many lodges. You know, I've been one of those. I came in and the Aaron, when Darren joined the lodge, we were doing all this stuff and it was going like gangbusters. And then your year's up, or I was actually there a year and a half or two. And, you know, the next guy did a little bit more. And then you start to see it dwindle away. Then all of a sudden it's five years and all that momentum we had uh, gets, gets lost. And I can't tell you how many past masters I've seen that when their year's done, you don't see him again. There's a lot of them. It's like, well, I've, you know, I've done my service and, and I'm done. And so what you lose is that institutional knowledge, that continuity, that spark that you mentioned. And to me, that's going to be, that's one of the things we need to work on collectively as a, as a fraternity is that continuity over time. So, you know, when you're talking about your magazine, you're talking, you know, we're getting together a year in advance or more and we're planning out. And so you've, you've got a, a plan that probably transcends the current officers in terms of, you know, their terms up, but you've got a system in place that when they rotate out, that doesn't mean that's the end of the momentum. And, and that's, that's where I see the, you'll get a spark, come in a lodge, gets it going. And then when they're worn out, that's it. The energy goes back to where it was is zero. And, and so I think it's uh that's to me, that's one of our weaknesses in this fraternity is, we we think we go through the chairs, we get out, and that's it. But we really 
that should just be the beginning, not the end of your service. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where we as, as, you know, past masters or even the senior officers like that, that ideal, that culture needs to be set by the lodge, right? Like you're going to go on the line and I mean, this is your second home. Treat it like your first home and be present. You know, you don't have to be there every week, but show up at least once a month. And because especially if you're a past master, you know, the work that it took to run a lodge. So why would you just walk away from it and not help facilitate things for the city master and the rest of the officers? And I mean, I think that's that's the individual conversation that every lodge needs to have within itself to figure out a game plan to get the ball in motion and keep a consistency of traditional things that work. But because let's face it, sometimes some traditional things aren't working anymore, you know. And that, but that's okay. You could expand on it, grow on it. If you replace it for something else, that's good. If you just kill it because nobody else wants to do it, well, then that's, that those are the conversations. I was kind of laughing to myself while I was listening. Back during the Knights of the North days, we'd come across quite a few Grand Lodge surveys. They back then they kept saying, well, what do these young men want? You know, basically now what we call the millennials. And many of them kept doing these surveys. And it was like, well, they want to dress up for Lodge. They want to wear suits. They want to learn things. They want what their grandfathers have learned. They want high dues. They want everything opposite of what we were offering them. And the past masters and the grand officers like, oh, that's crazy talk. And then they kept, well, let's just say it cheap again. Let's, you know, get to where they, you know, wear T-shirts and blue jeans. And it's funny because it's in... It's kind of like it's come to fruition now. Everything that we're talking about is what we'd seen almost 20 years ago when we kept hearing about all these things that these Grand Lodge surveys was putting out. And I kind of find it funny that this episode, or excuse me, this issue is kind of indicative of it. You know, once the brethren who received the magazine sees all these the suits and like, well, another example is I'm I'm involved in traditional wet shaving. It's you know with double edge safety razors. I collect old Gillette razors from the 50s and 60s, and I know a lot of the younger guys that are into that. I mean, most of the people I see are probably in their 20s and 30s that do that. And they, you know, they, they're like me. They have the shaving soap with a brush. And you don't see the guys who are older a lot of times doing that. They're still using the cartridge razors and the, and the barbasol. This is what they want, but we don't seem to want to give it to them. And it's just, we keep saying, well, I keep, I keep thinking that this dress is like the tip of the iceberg. They want the dress nice going to lodge. They want good dinners served on good china. They want like a festive board. They want, they want pageantry. They want all the things that they were told that Freemasonry is, and that's what they want. And I, I just think that the, that the dress is the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's sort of like if you build it, they will come. And I'm really thinking that that's kind of or what kind of what we're saying here. You know, if we take the first step and start dressing well for Lodge, maybe we can start, you know, instituting some of the other things, and we can actually start growing again. Well, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, uh, dressing is that meditative process that prepares you to go to lodge. That's when you're changing into, think of a superhero, like Superman or a Batman putting on his, his outfit. It's like your, your Masonic suit is that change of consciousness 
into hopefully something more harmonious and balanced uh, to get you out of your, your, your daily rut, if you will, to give you that, that escape. And, and it's, it's part of the process of being, getting tiled, being a, you know, think about the tiler at the lodge. What is his job? What is his duty? Right. To protect a lodge. Right. But he's also being observant of who comes and enters. He's being, he, and so when we, when I'm putting on my suit to go to lodge, I'm tiling myself as I'm putting this suit on. And I do start to feel like that just an upright Mason when it's finally on. And I walk through the doors of that lodge. It changes you psychologically. So if you're going to dress all sloppy and just roll out of bed and go to the lodge, what kind of attitude are you really bringing? Because somebody once argued, well, you know, those ripped jeans that he's wearing are probably more, cost more than my suit. Yeah, but it's still sloppy. And what does that say about an individual that shows up like that to them? Is he really taking this seriously? Does he really care? Right? And so I kind of just bring it back to that, to the lessons that he, that he learned as he was receiving his degrees. And did we teach him anything or did we fail him by not imploring this after he received his, his degrees and letting him know that, look, the Tyler is holding a sword and he's really just there to protect the lodge, but he's really protecting this whole, this whole thing that's about, this whole thing that's about to happen, happen inward at the lodge. And so when you're coming to lodge, that's kind of like the same thing you should be doing, tiling yourself to prepare yourself for this experience that you're going to receive or that you're going to give to somebody else. So see, it, it starts at the lodge level. And if we don't start putting those standards in place, then yeah, anybody's going to just stomp, stomp all over him. And nobody ever told me so-and-so wears a dirty t-shirt. I just got off work, you know? Yeah. I personally, and Greg can attest to this, uh, try to dress up for every meeting, uh, especially since I'm, Currently master for the second time at St. Joseph Lodge. Uh, I wear a suit, uh, to every meeting. Uh, I'm usually one of the only ones in a suit, but as I, as I told Greg, my hope is that people will see me, you know, wearing a suit and be like, well, I wonder where he's going or what, what, what is he about? What's he doing? And, and maybe hopefully, uh, bring, uh, some positive attention to the lodge. Cause I think in a lot of cases, uh, especially in our small communities here, they don't know we exist or they forget about us. We're not doing enough uh, or we're not public facing enough or doing enough to draw attention to ourselves to keep ourselves in the public eye. Uh, so I think that's really key, uh, what, what you're saying and setting that expectation for the new members and, and hopefully then creating the culture, uh, that, that you want to create for your particular lodge. Just as a segue, Dago, I know you are going to be speaking at Chicago Masonicon, which I think is this coming weekend. And you are going to talk about Fight Club and Freemasonry. So let me throw you a question here, and then I'll let you kind of talk about uh, if you can give a, a brief preview of uh, maybe your presentation. Not Don't give away all the secrets, obviously, but just enough to whet some appetites. What do you think Tyler Durden might say regarding apparel defining someone? He would first say, you are not your green beans and barbecues. <laughs> uh, I... I think he would agree with it because if you remember, Tyler, he is initiating the space monkeys, right? The guys that are waiting outside the door. And the very first one that he allows in after he passes the 
round of initiation, what's the first thing he says to him before he says, go ahead and come in? He goes, did you bring your black boots? Did you bring your black pants, your black shirt, your jacket, your black jacket? And the guy's, yes, yes, yes. And the fee to bury you in case you die, <laughs> you know, the yes. All right. You can come in now. So he was all, he was aware he had his, he had a style that he wanted consistent within his, his, his group, right? The, that space monkeys group that he was putting together that was going to, that were going to blow up all the credit card companies out there. So I don't think he'd have an issue with it. I think he'd want that consistency. And as far as Masonic Con Chicago, I, you know, I'm grateful. RJ Johnson invited me to speak and we were part of a panel at South Pasadena Masonic Lodges Masonic Con this past summer where we discussed Fight Club and Freemasonry. Adrian Foley led the discussion and RJ was in the panel, myself and Michael Jarzabak. And it was like 40 minute panel that felt like there was more to kind of discuss, but we obviously didn't have the time to do it. And I, I, I said, you know, we should definitely, it's the 20th anniversary of the release of the film, uh, do one issue for the fraternal review, which we did. And in doing the issue kind of was inspired to do the talk because there was a lot of parallels. I mean, Fight Club is not a Masonic movie per se, but there's a lot of parallels that connect to Freemasonry that I think are very insightful, especially after I read an article by a brother named Darren Darren that talked about the role of role models, of being a role model. And I was on the same frequency because this is what these men are missing in, in this film. This is a, they're the complete opposite of role models, but this is how they become, they became the complete opposite because they didn't have any role models. And what we, what I've felt in the lodge is that the men that come through the doors, that's, they're looking to be inspired. They're looking for role models. And so it has me level up, if you will, to because they're looking at me as like, well, he's been around long enough. Is he, does he have the, is he the role model? And not that I want to be one, but by default, you become that role model and you have a whole nother sense of responsibilities to attain to, to live up to, if you will. And I think the talk that I'm going to give is going to connect a lot of the symbolism in Fight Club through what they say and do and how it relates to Freemasonry. And they all are little nuggets of information as to how we can all become better role models for not just Masons, but for the greater community as a whole and live as the examples that, uh, that we are striving to become as Freemasons. And that's all I'll say. Well, thank you. I'm very humbled, Dago, by uh, your, your compliment. I was honestly blown away when I saw that uh, you had chosen that article for the issue. And uh, once again, I thank you for including me in that. Just, uh, I really, really uh, appreciate that. So, well, I think I was thinking as we wrap up here, I, you know, we sometimes it's easy to talk about what's not always going well with masonry, but the Southern California Lodge of Research is one of the examples of what's going right. And it's efforts like that and Masonic Con and the Midnight Freemasons and a whole bunch of other stuff that to me, when I add all that up, it's, it's changing Freemasonry. We may not see it from month to month, but the pendulum has swung. And, and 
to me, these are very long trends. It's not going to change overnight. And, you know, that membership peak took 50 years to get to the top and another 50 to get to the to the bottom of it. And so I remain extremely optimistic about the future of the craft. And I just want to thank you, Doggo, for the efforts you're doing because you're putting in a lot of time on this. But what you and, and others in California are doing is raising the bar. And when we raise the bar, that will have long-term positive implications for the craft. And again, I think sometimes we get so caught up in the what's right here in front of us. And uh, if we look for that longer game, this is where it's going. And then this is how it's going to succeed in the future. So I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing. I resubscribed. I were here on the podcast, so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm back current with you. And I'm looking forward to all those uh, future issues. So. Again, uh, my heartfelt thanks for all the work that you have done and uh, are going to do in the future. Thank you. That's really nice, and I and I agree with you. I think the the more excited we are about the craft, the more excited others are going to be about it. And this is, I mean, we publish things that get catch our interest, things that we want to read, things that we're interested in learning more about. So we, why wouldn't others be as well, right? And I think once those creative and passionate juices try to dry out, that's when things can get dangerous. But you inspire others to come in and run with it and take the mantle and turn it into something that's going to work for that generation. As long as I think we stick with it, I think it, I think you're right. It is an exciting time for it. It is an evolving time. And I'm just glad that I can be part of it and be part of this cool publication I want to say thank you for being on the show, and um, I want to apologize to you and the rest of your brethren at the Southern California Research Lodge because this is honestly the first exposure I've had to your magazine. I, you know, I've seen it on the um, Instagram for the Midnight Freemasons. First time I've really heard of it. And I feel bad that I had it hadn't been on my radar before now. You know, there's, as much as I love the traditions and antiquities of masonry, another thing that I love equally if not more, is when brethren of today take new and innovative technologies and they're able to advance Freemasonry in new ways and make it fresh and make it go forward. And you guys are doing that. And I really am proud of you guys for doing that. I mean, you've really done an amazing job. And I'm definitely going to keep on your um, mailing list. So but I just want to thank you for being on the show. And I want to thank you, all of you, for what you're doing for the craft. And I can't say enough good things. And brethren, if you don't subscribe to this magazine, do yourself a favor. Go over to their website and, and get it. They have it in several different ways. And I think you'll be really tickled to see it. It'll be a great addition to your library. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah. No, thank you. That was really kind of you. Kind of you and now you... You know about it and, you know, it's there. And if, you, if anybody wants to check it out, subscribe, or you could also download individual issues to read just to test it out to see if you enjoy it or if you're researching a topic or if you want to do like a 10-minute talk during one of your stated meetings at Lodge to bring some education into your Lodge, you could definitely read one of the articles from the magazine. And you can go to theresearchlodge.com, theresearchlodge.com to check out the library that we have so far. Dago, before I thank you again, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, recognize Greg. 
Greg receive great news that he is going to receive the 33rd degree this oh, wow. coming in 2021, I believe in August. Talking about role models, Greg is who I want to be when I grow up. Greg, I don't often say this, but you inspire me, and I uh, I just thank you for everything that you've done for me, your friendship, your mentorship, and this is, in my opinion, very, very overdue. So just thanks, Greg, really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. That means a lot. Congratulations, Greg. Dago, just uh, just to reiterate, thank you for coming on the podcast. As you said, if uh, people are just needing education, you know, there's, you know, read an article from the Fraternal Review or read a Midnight Freemasons article, but it's education isn't that difficult. It's just you have to get started. You have to cross the threshold and, and just start doing it. So I hope that people listening to this who are lacking education can can take these ideas and, and run with them. And uh, I appreciate, uh, just to back up with Greg and Bill said, you know, your efforts in propagating Masonic education. And, uh, you know, we need more, more guys like you doing this. On behalf of all the Midnight Freemasons, I want to, you know, congratulate you. And, you know, there's nobody else that really deserves it any more than you do, Greg. And congratulations. And if anybody deserves it, it's you, and I can't wait till you can get it next year. Soon to be illustrious brother. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, uh, that's very humbling. Well, Doggo, again, uh, we'll wrap this episode up. Uh, appreciate it. We appreciate all of our listeners and hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, again, if you want to find out more of the Fraternal Review, they also have a blog. They also have a podcast that we didn't really talk about. But you can go to the researchlodge.com and find more information on this outstanding organization and Masonic education effort. So until next time, we'll see you down the road for another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactonpark.com While there please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Acton Park. <laughs>